Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability people have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihi Jolly. Today we're speaking with Crystal Kalima, a 22-year-old college student from Hawaii who started practicing SGI Nichiren Buddhism, which is based on the practice of chanting Namyo Horinge Kyo when she was still in high school. Crystal's story is deeply moving and a lesson in what it takes to overcome shame and become proud of where you're from. Growing up, she and her mom experienced extreme financial hardship, which led her to feel ashamed about sharing her circumstances with other people. Around this time, together with her mom, Crystal started chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo about her situation. Today, she's studying biology in order to pursue medical school, another aspect of her life that she decided to challenge based on a determination to show herself and the people around her that with enough driving courage, you can be anything you want to be no matter where you come from. Here's Crystal. Um, my name is Crystal, um, Crystal Kalima. I am 22, just turned 22 this past July, um, and I am a college student in my bachelor's program for biology, um, and I live um, in Maui, Hawaii. Amazing. Um, thank you, first of all, for taking the time to, to talk today. I'm super excited to learn more about your story, um, and I'm thinking the best place to start is the Buddhism part. So how and when did you sort of start practicing SGI Nichiren Buddhism? And most importantly, why did you start chanting? Okay, um, so I was brought up in the practice. My mom started chanting before she gave birth to me. Um, and I've always gone to SGI activities. Um, and I've always chanted Nam-myoho-renge-kyo. But I didn't actually start practicing on my own until I was in high school around um, 14 years old or yeah between 14 and 16 years old and it was because my family was struggling with financial um, situations that we just had a hard time overcoming Um, it would seem like we would overcome it and then like a couple months or years later we'll be right back in step one and would have to work all over again so I just really wanted to overcome that Mm, I see yeah I'm gonna ask more about that in a bit but I'm just wondering do you remember like I don't know if it was a day or it was just a time period when you started like actually chanting every day and it was like part of your life as a practice how that felt like was it easy for you and you were like I'm gonna do this or were you like I'm gonna really try to chant but it's really hard or you know what I mean yeah, yeah. Um, actually, when I started chanting, I did not chant every day. I would only chant when we would go to the Buddha Center. Um, and like, I would only chant with everyone, um, so to speak. Like, you know, when we would have our monthly meetings, I would go and I would chant. And I would just chant really, really hard at that meeting. But when I would go home, um, I didn't really chant by myself, I, I feel like I was scared of my voice, um, especially doing gongyo. Um, I was scared on 
how the words would sound coming out of my mouth. Um, and so I didn't actually do it at home until I was like 16, 16 turning 17. I just remember I was a junior in high school um, and I actually, it wasn't even to, anything to do with financials. It was having to do with an exam that was coming up in school and I was losing my mind. Um, and my mom just told me, you should chant in front of the Gohonzon. And I was like, uh, I'll just stick it out by myself. I'll chat when we go to a meeting. Um, but she really was like, no, like just sit in front of the Gohonzon. Like at least just do Daimoku. Um, so I just sat in front of the Gohonzon. And I started chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo over and over again. And as I did that, I felt more confident um, in myself. And I'm like, oh, I, I really do know how to do this. And then, you know, um, I kind of like was like, oh, I wonder if I could actually do gongyo. So like just in the middle of saying Nam-myoho-renge-kyo, I picked up our prayer book and I opened it. And at first, I was like, oh, no, I'm messing up all these words. Um, I need to stop. Like, don't. But then I felt like, oh, that's like disrespectful to myself if I already started this prayer and I don't finish it. So I just went through the whole thing. And then I finished up the prayer. And I was like, oh, gosh, that was rough. And then that's when I decided that I wanted to practice um, mm. and actually like understand what I was doing wow that's so interesting I love hearing that that process too um so I'm thinking you know um the sort of theme for this episode is really about um becoming proud of where we're from and no matter what that means you know um probably identity on many different levels are is something that many many young people struggle with in America today, in many parts of the world. But, you know, um, that's sort of like the story that I was hoping we could talk about. So to start, um, whatever you're comfortable with sharing, could you share a little bit about like what were the challenges that you faced growing up and kind of um, as a young person, how did they make you feel? Sure. Um, so the biggest challenge for me, um, as mentioned earlier, was my family's financial situation. Um, and it was difficult because we weren't necessarily poor. Um, my mom did work, um, but I, again, I, um, something else, I did come from a single parent household. So there was only my mom, um, bringing in income to my family. So my mom did work, but in Hawaii, um, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but it's actually very expensive to live here. Um, and so like even just having a studio apartment, like my mom was had to pay over like a thousand dollars. Um, and so working and having to pay for food and having two children and having to make sure they have their school supplies and food for the weekends and also making sure you have gas in the car, paying electricity, you know, like all of those things added up. Um, and my mom basically had to choose which one, I guess, was less important or um, it's like not a good way to put it. But um, that's, yeah, she had I to think like, like choose we, to prioritize. Between yes, her. prioritize. That's it. Yeah, mm -hmm. she had to choose um, priorities. And so for her, it was food and our car. 
because um Maui is like very like it's a big island so to get from one place to another you definitely need a car um and so she choose she chose not to often chose not to pay so much in electricity water gas and for a house and rent for a house she chose to feed us and pay for gas for our car so that we can get from her job to school to wherever um and that was definitely difficult growing up because um i remember in grade school like you know my friends would be like can i sleep over your house and i'm like Aha, my house is my car so no um you know and I often wanted to sleep over at their house because it was an actual house. And I was like, oh, I can sleep in an actual house. I don't care if it's on a couch. But mm. it kind of made like, it kind of made it um, to my friends at least. It was like, how come you want to sleep over my house, but I can't sleep over your house, right? And so it was kind of like this shame and like, oh, like, you know, I can't really have people over like how other kids do. Um, another thing was, my mom always put us, um, always applied for free lunch from the school. Um, and so like, you know, at the time I didn't, I didn't realize how fortunate I was to be able to eat. Um, cause like looking back, I can remember like my friends was like, oh man, my mom didn't put money in my account. Like I can't eat lunch today or something. Right. And I'm just like, but I go eat lunch. But at the time I was like, oh, like, you know, people's parents have to come and they have to go to the office and be like oh this money is for so and so and my mom never did that you know because she Mm -hmm. had assistance from the government um and even with that too we had food stamps to pay for food at home um and we weren't able to get certain things on food stamps. Like, you know, you can't get like ready hot meals or anything like that. You have to get cold stuff that you have warm up or cook. Uh, so like, you know, my friends from school at like snack time, they would have um, a musubi, which is like spam rice with um, nori wrapped around it. And they have like a hot musubi and they're eating it like, oh, yeah, I got a musubi or I got a chicken bento. And like I'm there with like a tuna sandwich you know because that's all we could really afford from the food stamps and so I was always like ah, I never get like the good snacks I never get the good food um and so that was something that I was ashamed about too so yeah I think when I was younger there was definitely a lot of shame for being in that type of situation especially knowing that my mom worked and was making money but yet I still couldn't afford regular stuff you know so that really put me in the like I was such a downer when I was younger mm, yeah yeah no I can imagine it's it's really hard as a kid you know also you don't totally understand all the forces at play in yeah. that kind of situation and yeah to compare yourself to other kids your age it's I can imagine it must have been very tough yeah um, especially because I think too like my friends they would like get like a new wardrobe or school, new school clothes like every year or whatnot. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the same jeans that I wore two years in a row or, you know, like same uniform, um, you know, and I would definitely be more um, self-conscious, especially like when I would have to like, so we would have to wear shoes to school. Right. But they didn't necessarily always have matching socks. 
So I had like, you know, when we have to take off our shoes to go onto the carpet or whatever, um, I'd have to take off my shoes. And then like, I'm like, uh, why am I in mismatched socks? And everybody else has nice, pretty socks and mine is mismatched with poop with holes in it. And it's just like, I I would take off my socks too. So I'd just be barefoot and, you know, just nobody knows that I have mismatched socks. Um, And yeah, stuff like that would just um, frustrate me. And like, I would come home and just be mad. I was just like, oh, like, why can't we have better stuff? Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for sharing um, those experiences. So I'm, I'm wondering then, you know, like as you started to get older and you know entered into high school around the same time that you said you started chanting um and kind of finances was one part of chanting as well um yeah how did you even begin to tackle that in terms of using your buddhist practice um it was really a change in my perspective of what i had went through as a child and what i actually continued to go through in high school um so like when I started high school, um, we were actually still living, uh, we were actually living in a homeless shelter. Um, but at the time, they only allowed two years in the homeless shelter. And after that, like you had to move on, you had to find somewhere else. So at the end of our two years, we actually moved in with my mom's friend um, and um which is actually something we often did. We either lived with like a relative or my mom's friend or something like that. But at that time, um, you know, I still was feeling very like shameful and whatnot. And I just remember talking to, um, uh, I call her my auntie. Um, I was remember talking to my auntie and she's like, it's okay, babe, don't worry. Like people have their struggles and, you know, people get stronger because of their struggles. And, you know, you have to see like, you know, even though you and mom may not have had a lot, you were able to get this far. And I was like, oh, you know, that's so true. You know, we've had enough to keep ourselves going. Like I never went hungry um, and like I never was lacking in like hygiene or whatever um and so I was like you know that's so true like there's so much people who have gone through similar experiences or even worse experiences than my own that have like for some reason are super happy with their life and how (laughs) their life turned out and so um that made me think of like how I could change how I was looking at my life um, and I started changing and I, I just started being grateful for everything instead of feeling shame. I just just turned it with feeling gratitude and like, oh, I'm so thankful that my mom had a job to the begin with. I'm so thankful that the government pays for some people, some kids to eat food, you know, mm-hmm. um, it was like things like that. Small things that I started to that I was um, ashamed about that I just started to feel grateful for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like a, a really actually profound shift for a teenager <laughs> to go through. You know, I mean, it's it's not easy to just shift your perspective like that. Um, so around this time, you know, when you started also chanting, you said it was st- initially because of an exam. Um, but, you know, did you also begin to chant sort of about these feelings that you had or like the financial circumstances? And did you start to see anything changed once you started practicing buddhism 
Um, I would say that it, I first had that epiphany that I need to change my, my thoughts. And in order to do that, I actually went in front of the Gohon Zone and chanted. And I was like, how can I feel, um, or what feelings like are like deep inside with these situations, you know? And then I actually chanted about each one, um, in depth like I didn't chant about them like as a whole like I I wanted to do change one by one and Mm -hmm. so I went from like my most shameful thing um which was um living in a homeless shelter I was just so shame that was so shame for me at the time so I chanted about that I was like you know like how do I become grateful for living in a homeless shelter you know that's not something that a kid would be grateful for. Um, So I chanted about that. And then I realized, like, I actually had a place to live. Like, I wasn't living in my car anymore. So this is technically an upgrade. Like, you know, you should be happy that you actually have a roof over your head and four walls and a door and a bed. Like, you know, and so um, that was the major one. And that one actually got me to start being vocal about my experiences um and not like kind of covering up and sweeping it under the rug like I started feeling more the need to share with others that there are people amongst us going through these situations um and sharing that with others um most notably my classmates helped me look at other things like my food situation um help me look at it and just be completely like taken aback and just 180 like oh hello you don't have to be shame you had food uh, and it just like from there I'm just like okay I'm done I'm done with this with this shame with this feeling of being less than in that type of situation obviously there's other stuff that go with that but like in terms of those situations I was like okay I'm done with this like this is no longer uh, an obstacle or this is no longer a reason for me to feel shame this is a reason for me to feel proud because I had somebody my mom working hard and we beat this we overcame this Mm. yeah Oh my goodness. I'm like, I have like chills hearing you speak. That's like deep work to do, (laughs) especially just the thought of you like sitting down and actually addressing these things one at a time. I mean, you know, people go through their whole life and they never address these things and you just did it. I think it was really um, the Gohonzon's way of showing me that it was there, that it's there for everyone. Um, Because I definitely did not necessarily like think anything was gonna come out of it per se like I I just thought I would feel better about myself um but not necessarily like that I would have the opportunity to change other people's perspective not just my own so Mm. I feel like especially um at that time I feel like a lot of people especially on social media were um trying their best to put their best foot forward um, and I, I saw that I was like, oh, but are you really happy though? <laughs> you know, it was kind of like those, I had those deep thoughts in high school, which I think I am very fortunate 
for because you know like you mentioned a lot of people go through life and they don't even have they don't even second think anything like that um and i just really think it was the gohonzon that was just like okay here you could have your epiphany moment at the age of 17 before you even graduate high school and live your whole life you know without that worry or without trying to um without trying to learn and grow like you already grew in that factor yeah Mm. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Um, and for, for anyone listening who is wondering, the Gohonzon is this scroll that we chant to. And so it's um, almost like a spiritual mirror where you do see things really clearly and you can have those realizations and epiphanies and uh, pull that sort of courage and, and wisdom out. It's interesting hearing you share all of this because, um, you know, we the word we use, Buddhability, to describe like Buddhahood or Buddha nature Um is defined as, you know, your unlimited courage, compassion, and wisdom. And I feel like what you're describing is like 100% wisdom (laughs) just came out of your life, (laughs) which is amazing. Um, So then, you know, as you you started to see these kind of like this perspective shift that you were able to go through and you continued and your practice also continued to develop, um, did you see sort of any like external or more conspicuous shifts that came from you changing on the inside Mm, I would say not um not direct but I feel like there was a lot that happened to my family um so um at that time um or during that period like we actually had the fortune to move into an actual apartment um which is actually where we live now, where we've been living for going on six years. Um, and my mom um, had the opportunity to open up a Target here on Maui. So before we only had Walmart and Costco and Kmart um, for the longest time. Um, and it's actually funny, sorry, side rant or side story sure, sure. <laughs> so we i'm actually not originally from maui um i moved here from a different island the island of oahu and that's where i was born that's where my mom was born and raised that's where my grandparents were born and raised um and my mom actually worked on walmart on a walmart because there's multiple on oahu um and she was given the opportunity to move to maui to open up the walmart here in 2001 and so she's like, oh, sure, like, you know, let's go. So uh, me and my sister and my mom moved to Maui in 2001 and she helped open up the Walmart. So it was very interesting that she had the opportunity to open up the first Target here. Um, and so uh, she was already working a job, but she was like, you know, let me try. You know, I've been doing retail for 80% of my life let's see if I will get in and she actually was one of the first hundred people to be hired at the target here um and that was all when we were like moving so it was like um a big benefit for both of us to be practicing and especially we were both in sync and working towards changing our family karma. So it kind of was like, like I said, not directly for me, but like in a in, in a whole, like in general for our family moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she started working at Target too. So she had two jobs. Uh, so we 
had more income, which we were like not used to. We're, you know, <laughs> we're so used to having like not enough income and now we have enough and then some a little bit. So the first thing that we started doing was um, saving, started saving money. I was like, oh, I've never saved money before. How do I do this? You know, <laughs> and it was definitely a learning experience for both me and my mom. So I would say that um, that chanting had a more positive influence but not just on me like just on my family mm. yeah that's amazing and um yeah I, I mean you know one question that people often ask who are new to to buddhism is like how does your chanting really impact other people because we can chant for our family members for our friends for our community um so i actually love that that's such an important part of your experience because i know your mom was also practicing right Yes. And you were, so it sort of became this like shared struggle at some point. Yes. <laughs> yeah. When, um, just to clarify, you know, for anyone who is new, when you say, um, like transforming your family karma, what do you mean by that? Uh, so we mean, um, any obstacles that we face in our life is an obstacle that we've previously faced. Um, and so to transform our family karma is, my family has this history of um, obstacles and challenges. Um, and we're going to keep going through these obstacles and challenges until we decide to fix it or to change it. Mm -hmm. So um, changing my family karma is changing those past obstacles that my family just keeps going through um, and making sure that the line stops. Moving forward, we will no longer go through these obstacles or we may have it but we are able to overcome them much more uh efficiently so like we'll just get over it faster and keep going forward not getting stuck yeah absolutely that makes sense thank you for for explaining so just to sort of you know understand the the timeline as well it it sounds like you know from what you're saying so in high school, you start practicing and you really like are able to deal with these kind of uh, profound feelings of shame, maybe that you had carried from a young age. And then you really transform it and you are able to also connect more with other people because of it. Um, and now you're in college. So I'm wondering, you know, as your practice progressed after high school and after those initial experiences of seeing Buddhism work in your life, what did you sort of decide to challenge next? Um, that's a very good question. <laughs> I feel like there's just a lot of things. Um, like I definitely was challenging, um, self-love, identity. Um, I just always felt like, ah, like, you know, my value, even though like I had this understanding of what I went through and, um, how awesome it is and how profound it is I still had to work on myself and how not how I viewed my situation but how I viewed myself and that is something to this day I am still working on um, and I think a lot of people are like that too you can't just love yourself all day every day all the time um, it's like a constant effort to just wake up be like, oh, I love myself today. And then the next day, I love myself today. And sometimes you hate yourself and that's okay too. You just have to go revert back to loving yourself afterwards. Um, but I would say that's definitely one thing um, that I was definitely challenging. And also um, family harmony. Um, my 
even though my family's been through so much together, I felt like on a lot of issues or just in life in general, we weren't on the same page. Um, and we had a lot of discord in my family. So that was something that I was chanting for and trying to change. Um, and I think all of that is, that's like only like the tip of the iceberg. But those are the, <laughs> the things that I I can think off the top of my head um, right now. Mm, yeah, I mean, all major things that continue throughout life. <laughs> yes. But it's amazing. Um, it sounds like almost like you're saying that you... I mean, it, it seems like you must have gained some confidence in your Buddhist practice over time. To, oh, definitely. To be able to start exploring these other things to chant about. Yes, 100%. Uh, I no longer have blind faith. I have absolute faith. Um, and it's it's because I've seen it work. Mm-hmm. And I, f- I feel like only after you've seen it work can you have absolute faith. Um, and sometimes, you know, um, I stray. I stray from my practice. I don't chant often. I don't study. But I know it's there anytime I need to come back to it. Or anytime I need to challenge something, I know where to go. I'm not searching anymore for something to help me. Like, I know where it is and I know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was definitely just... That's, I think, the core of my confidence is that I know I don't have to go looking for something um, to help me through things. I know where it is. Yeah. Wow. That's such a great way to put it. Because sometimes I think when people think about like Buddhist practice, you think, oh, I have to do it every day forever perfectly. But it's a journey. It's up and down. (laughs) But to know, yeah, anytime something comes up, no matter how big it is to that we we can just go and chant and you know exactly where to pick back up. It's right. a very like freeing way to live your life. At least it has been for me. Yes, you know, you can't ever totally be that stuck. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, oh, it's just like a bump. And then you're just like, okay, well, this bump is getting bigger. I better go <laughs> take care of it now. <laughs> and you just go in front of the Gohonzon and you chat Nami Hoding and Kyo. It's like, oh, it's not a bump anymore. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I love that. Um, so, so now you said you're in college and you're studying biology, right? Yes. What was the sort of journey to decide, like, what you wanted to pursue in college and what you want to do next, like? Mm, good question. Good question. Um, I think besides my family's, um, financial karma, we had health karma, um, and this is generations um you know great grandparents grandparents mom of just health um and this is also a native hawaiian thing because a lot of hawaiians go through it so like diabetes high cholesterol obesity um even cancer runs in my family um and Mm -hmm. so it it was my grandfather actually who uh really had me um taking an interest in the medical field. So my grandpa had type 2 diabetes. um, And every morning, whenever I was with them, um, I would see him check his blood sugar. Um, And he actually, I think I was about five. But he actually explained it to me as a five-year-old. And at five years old, I understood what diabetes was and why it was a health issue. 
Um, and so I think from that time, I'm always like, I would say my grandpa was my best friend. So I would, I just wanted to help in any way possible. And mm-hmm. so um, I always thought about like being a doctor or a nurse, um, amongst other things as, you know, children's imaginations are wild. <laughs> but um, yeah, I always wanted to be something in the medical field. Um, and my grandmother was actually a nurse. So I I would watch how she would take care of my grandpa. Um, but when I turned seven, my grandpa actually started training me with taking his blood sugar and giving him insulin. Um, and so I was like, oh, this is nuts, you know, poke Papa's finger and then, you know, draw up the insulin in his syringe. And I knew it was 10 milligrams and whatnot. Um, and so that like continued my curiosity. Um, and then going later, uh, middle school, everybody like, what do you want to be when you grow up a doctor? High school, what do you want to be when you grow up a doctor? And still continuously a doctor, a doctor, a doctor. I kind of lost momentum right after I graduated high school because <laughs> I took this really hard math class and I was like, I can't do math anymore. <laughs> I'm done with math. Let me go do something else. Maybe I'm not meant to be a doctor. And then I found out, oh, you have to take science classes to become a doctor (laughs) I was like oh great math and science were not my strong points in high school I don't even know what class was my strong point in high school at this point but I was like okay you know what I I'm determined I am I am I am I am um and I went in front of the corn zone and then like I chanted about it I'm like yes this is the path for me I don't care how hard it is um, I don't care if I feel like I'm going to give up every day, I'm going to do it. Um, and so, yeah, I found out that in order to get science courses done and have financial aid for them, you have to be in that specific field. So I was like, OK, biology is the best route because I can have financial aid to cover these courses that are prerequisites for medical school. And that's what I'm doing. <laughs> Wow. Oh my gosh, that takes a lot of courage, it sounds like. It was definitely a difficult process. Uh, to this day, I'm like, oh, is this really what I want? Because there are easier options. Like, nope, this is it. You have to just go. Oh my god, you're like so wise. <laughs> I feel like there's this, like, every time you chant, this crazy wise voice comes out and says, this is... <laughs> It's kind of scary, I will admit. I'm just like, wait, where did this all come from? It's just like my mind is just transformed in an instant feels like I mean it's obviously a culmination of things but it feels like an instant and I'm just like okay (laughs) yeah yeah it's like this inner voice almost kind of comes out when you chant yes yep Mm, I see um so then okay so now that's why you're studying bio got it um and then you know I remember um Also, when we spoke on the phone, you mentioned that, you know, um, sort of like there's a stigma attached to also being Hawaiian or native Hawaiian in some Mm -hmm. of the spaces in terms of studying this stuff. So what was like? Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. So um, it's like I don't even know. It's very weird. So there is a ongoing stigma that native Hawaiians aren't smart and they party and uh they live in the valley and they're all squatters and they just take up space. Um, and that has been a stigma for generations. Um, and it 
it's historically based um just based on the events that happened in Hawaii like with the overthrow and the banning of our language and whatnot um so it's kind of I feel like a lot of Hawaiians have lost faith in themselves and what they can accomplish um and so when I got into high school uh sorry high school college I took courses on Hawaiian studies and just tried to understand my culture and I found like we were not dumb. We are not dumb. Our culture is based on science. It's based on education. Like we're made for this. We made this. Um, and all of these things that, you know, are stigmatized now is because people really don't understand us or understand our culture and what our cult and the foundation of our culture. Um, and so Along with my personal reasons to become a a doctor, I also have a um, umbrella too. Like I want to be this not just for myself, but for my people. You know, I want to show um, Native Hawaiians that you can succeed in education and you can succeed in what you in any of your dreams, really. Um, and Recently, I feel like a lot of people who are my age or even like a generation older um, have are having the same insight because a lot more Hawaiians are becoming educators so that the generations after us will see, ah, oh, we are smart. We can do this. You know, there are places for us. Um, and I think that stigma is really starting to change. Um, but yeah, when I, I remember when I was in school too, a lot of my Native Hawaiian friends, uh, they would uh, um, often like mock me or tease me. I was like, oh, like, why are you taking an AP class? You're going to be with all the Asians and all the white people, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, because I'm smart and I can do it. Like, mm -hmm. if you put your mind to it, you could do it too. Uh, it's not that hard, really. But they make it like so much out of our reach as Native Hawaiians. And I feel like all minorities can really understand this or resonate with this. Mm -hmm. You know, they often um, advertise things as out of our league. Like, oh, you know, like let the other people do it. Like, you know, you can continue working at Walmart and Home Depot and pushing carts or whatnot. Like let other people go into law, go into medicine, go into education. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's very much this generation is very much changing things now. And I just want to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, so, so encouraging. Is, um, if you're okay with me asking, is that stigma, like the example you just shared of, you know, in high school AP classes, like, is that something that you faced personally too, in addition to it sort of being a narrative that you were exposed to? Yes, yes. Um, oh, I feel like my whole life actually, um, but I remember most specifically in middle school, um, I was interviewed for a college preparatory um, course when I started high school. I was in eighth grade and going on to be a freshman. And um, these people from the high school I was attend uh, going to attend came and they were interviewing a whole bunch of students on um, and seeing if they would qualify for their college preparatory course. And I remember, like, you know, my teacher, 
telling me, she's like, oh, Crystal, you're going to have this interview. Um, it's for this course at Maui High School, and it's going to help you. It's going to help prepare you for college. And then my friends were like, why do you want to go to college? How come you don't just want to work, make money? And I was like, oh, I've always wanted to go to college. I mean, it's always been in my future prescribed by my mother <laughs> that I would go to college um and I was like oh I always wanted to go to college the next day my friends oh how did your interview go oh it was awesome I got in they're like really they let you in isn't that just for like really smart people I'm like okay I'm really smart too <laughs> if you didn't know um and and they're actually the ones that made that comment. It's like they're actually gonna, there's just gonna be Asians and white people in that class. I'm like, well, now there's gonna be an African Hawaiian in that class. So <laughs> we're we're going okay. Um, and I was in that program all four years of high school, and I, I stayed in it. Um, there was actually other Native Hawaiian students in there too, and I was like, yes, my people, how are you? There's actually only three of us, but I was still happy. Um, and one of them dropped out, so there's only two of us left in that class. Um, until junior year, another one came in. I was like, oh, we're back at three. Here we go. <laughs> um, and yeah, all three of us graduated from the program, and all three of us got um, accepted to universities. Um, unfortunately, two of the other students um, aren't, work aren't in college anymore. Uh, they dropped out, but... Um, I'm still here, so I'm like, I'm holding on for you guys. Let's go. <laughs> Let's make it. Um, but yeah. Mm. Wow. Thank you so much for, for sharing. It's like amazing to just hear you you talk about all of this because it, it sounds like you, um, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming like your mom's practice and your practice, just like despite having, you know, got, like not had so many resources at the crucial moment, you like both had the internal kind of what's the word like fortitude to like mm. I'm gonna do it I'm not gonna quit I'm not gonna drop out I'm whatever I feel I'm gonna work through it and then also like you know the right opportunities at the right time which yep. is just fortune right in Buddhism yes yes definitely fortune and I also think too my mom's a very tenacious person um and so I feel like her personality along with her practice just like makes her extremely like strong and just like <laughs> immovable um and so her too like when she sets her mind on something she just doesn't quit and I think I've definitely gotten that from her um and so it's just like uh just built in like hardwired almost you know so it's just it's kind of double proof um, just having that in my genes, but also having this practice just makes it like, like iron. It just strikes me, you know, hearing you say that, um, that this whole journey, you know, of high school and now college of you really um, challenging your perspective and your circumstances and developing this like big dream. What role did the Buddhist community play in all of it? Because I know, you know, chanting is the daily practice and you had your mom, but I imagine you also sort of had support from other people who practice Buddhism around you. And for someone who's totally new, you know, to Buddhism and just curious about what that was like. Yeah. How, how was that? If you can ex uh, share a little bit of that experience. Yeah, um, I actually, from when I started till now, I give all credit to my practice to them because 
I wouldn't be practicing without them. Even though my mom was a member and she did practice, um, there were times, like especially when we were homeless, that we didn't have the ability to set up our gohonzon in a safe space and actually chant. Um, but the members actually would come uh, to wherever me and my mom were and pick us up and take us to the Buddhist center to chant. Um, and so... Even when I started chanting again in high school, I actually took a long, or me and my family took a very long break from chanting um, from like when I was in elementary school all the way up to when I started chanting again in high school. And we started chanting again because um, one of the members reached out to my mom. Uh, She actually was always in contact with my mom, but we actually never took her up on her offers to come to the center um, until one day, I think my mom just was going through it and she um, told one of the members, I call her auntie too. Oh, that's the thing too. Everybody's auntie, everybody's uncle. Um, yeah. But one of the aunties came and she picked me and my mom up. At that time, we were living in the homeless shelter. She picked up me and my mom and we chanted. And um, that was the first time I actually chanted by my, like on words coming out of my mouth. Um because like when I was younger, I would just sit there and listen, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But that was the first time um, I actually said the words out of my mouth. And that's when our practice really started picking up again. Um, even like after when I was going to college, um, the members, they always chanted like, oh, they would always say, Crystal, like checking up on me. How are you doing? I'm chanting for your happiness. I'm chanting for your success. Um and I had a hard time financially up there too. And they were always just very like, you know, this is just something that you have to overcome and you will grow from this. Um, they connected me to, I went to, my first university was in Washington State. So like all the way far away from home. Um, but they connected me to um, an SGI center in Washington. Um, and so I really felt, even though I was alone, I really felt Like I had a family because all Mm. SGI people are the same in one way or another. (laughs) Um, Just very open and just loving and kind. And so I already, I felt so welcome just from going to one meeting. Like, Crystal, come, you know. And the aunties up there too, they would pick me up from my dorm, take me to the center so I could chant. Um, And I got through that part of college because of them. and when I came back to Hawaii too, it was just, they're still there. Like they didn't go anywhere. Um, and that was a point too. I came back to Hawaii because I didn't have enough money to finish my education up there. And I just felt really down and out about it. I was like, oh, I failed. No. And they were the ones that really picked me up. They're like, no, like this is just another opportunity. Like maybe this is your calling. Maybe you're meant to be here. Maybe you're meant to be in Hawaii and uh, doing things for Hawaii. So like I said, everything everything comes from them. They're, they're the reason wow. for everything. <laughs> That's so encouraging. And then you decided to enroll in college in Hawaii then mm-hmm. after that. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And just continue. That's amazing. I mean, and it makes sense, like everything that you're sharing about. Um, I, it's so interesting. Like you talked about family karma, but it's also like, uh, you can actually change the like karma of a land and of a, of a whole people. You know what I mean? It seems, yes. seems like that's what you're doing. Just uh, from, trying like, to your at existence. least. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so amazing. Thank you for sharing. Um, 
So uh, last kind of uh, in closing question, um, if you could give one piece of advice to someone who's listening who might be like totally new to Buddhism, maybe they're just thinking about chanting or they just started, but they're having kind of a similar struggle to what you have gone through in terms of feeling like um, shame or like powerlessness about your circumstances or your background, what piece of advice would you give to them? Mm, I would say have courage and don't be afraid of failure. Yeah, those are the, the main two things. Um, if you have courage, you can accomplish anything, even if you fail, because you understand that failure is just, um, it's just a stepping stone. When I asked Crystal if she had a favorite Buddhist quote, she cited this one, which is part of a book by Daisaku Ikeda called Hope is a Decision. I'll read the whole thing because I think it really captures her story. It reads, Each individual has immense potential, and a great change in the inner dimension of one individual's life has the power to touch others' lives and transform society. Everything begins with us. When we change our inner determination, everything begins to move in a new direction. The moment we make a powerful resolve, every nerve and fiber in our being will immediately orient itself toward the fulfillment of this goal or desire. On the other hand, if we think this is never going to work out, then every cell in our body will be deflated and give up the fight. Hope, in this sense, is a decision. For more inspiring stories of hope and courage, visit bootability.org. And as always, if you'd like to learn more about how to connect with your local Buddhist community, email us at connect at sgi-usa.org. Also, if you like what you've heard, please leave us a rating or review on whichever podcast app you're using, as this helps the show get discovered. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.